Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. We are in our final week of divine interruptions. And I think for the most part, we would all agree that we do not enjoy interruptions when they arrive in our life. In fact, when the interruption occurs, most of us react, and normally that reaction is emotion-filled. We're angry, we're mad, somebody has interrupted me, what do you think you're doing? And there's that little thing that rises up in us, but every now and then, there's good interruptions. Like when my wife says, hey, what are you doing? And um, I'm driving and preparing to go down a one-way street the wrong way. Like that is a good interruption, even though in the moment, my initial reaction is like, what are you telling me how to drive for, woman? You know, like that's in me. But at the end of the day, I'm glad I didn't go down the one-way road, the wrong direction. And so there's sometimes that those interruptions are actually good. And what we've been saying is if God is interrupting us, although our initial reaction may be mad, like, what do you think you're doing, God? You're messing my plans up. There's also that place that we have to come to of saying, if he's interrupting me, it's for my good. There's something more that he sees. There's something more going on than I'm aware of that he is protecting me and saving me and guiding me from. Now, I still have a free will choice, just like in the car with my wife telling me I'm going the wrong way. I could say, quiet, and I just keep going, and that would not be good for me or for her or anyone else in the vehicle or the oncoming traffic. But in the same way, when God is trying to redirect us and he interrupts our plans, it's for our good, and the good of those who we are going through life with. And so in this series, we've been talking about how God will interrupt us because he truly loves us. If he didn't love us, he would just let us keep going. And that wouldn't be loving, would it? If you see your child playing their favorite thing, they're playing with the soccer ball, and they're playing with it in the front yard, and they're running, and they're having fun, and they're chasing the ball, and the ball rolls into the street, and a car is coming, it's proper and good and loving for you to interrupt your child's play. Because your child doesn't understand the full situation. He doesn't see everything going on. He's wrapped up in chasing the ball. He doesn't know oncoming danger is here. But as a parent, I see that. So I want to interrupt them for their good. And I say, stop. And I think sometimes God's doing that with us. But we, like the child, my my two-year-old, he likes to get his arms out like this when he's mad. I don't know what he's tensing up. It's like in his back or something. He's like got back muscles. And he just is like this. And the little lip comes out. And it's like, you're interrupting me. And I'm like, yes, because I love you. But I think God looks at us the same way. We have our own way of putting our arms back and sticking out our lip like, God, what are you doing? I thought you were for me, not against me. And he's like, I am for you, silly. You just don't see the big picture. So God is so good. He interrupts us because he loves us. But here's the problem that we have is that so many times God might be involved in our life in ways we don't understand. And there's a lot of people who never put it together that it's actually God who is involved in their life. And and here's the challenge with it. God never pokes his head through the clouds and says, hey, the interruption was me. Wouldn't that be amazing? 
That would be so, like, relieving. I wish that he did that. Or you just get a notification on your phone, and it's God saying, hey, that was me. Oh, thank you. See, the text notification system, the head through the clouds, that's not how God works. But here's how he chooses to work. See, God is moving in every person's life, I believe. I believe that the Bible says that he's drawing everyone to him. So whether you've stepped over the line of faith and became a Christian and said, I'm going to follow Jesus, or whether you're still kind of trying to do it on your own and haven't yet done that, God is trying to draw you to him. He is providing divine interruptions all over the place. The problem is, is that we don't always interpret God's activity in our life as God. We sometimes want to just blame things. Oh, this must be karma. Oh, this must be something bad that happened in my life. This must be somebody else's fault. It's Bob's fault. Isn't it always Bob's fault? Gosh, it's got to be Bob's fault. And that's like, yes, that's my husband. It's always his fault. Michelle's like, yeah, I got a Bob too. We, we like to blame other people, but sometimes it's actually God involved. And so here's how God likes to work. So in God's interruption system, he is moving in ways we can't see, right? He's a spirit, right? Like we don't even quite understand that. He is not in the seen world. He is no longer taking up flesh, walking among us. He can work in mysterious ways. Like you guys ever heard that? The Lord works in mysterious ways. Like he can send angels, He can allow there to be events and things that happen, but we're going through life and we don't interpret that it's God. But here's what he does. His interruption system is God is moving right now. He is drawing people. There's divine interruptions happening all over the place. But it's our responsibility as Christ followers who have stepped over the line of faith to co-mission with him in helping people interpret what's going on. See, when your friend is going through that situation, you're like, dude, God is totally working on them. They don't know that that's God. And your job is to be God's mouthpiece to say, hey, all this stuff in your life is actually God trying to love you. This is our responsibility. And I'm going to be honest, as a church, we're not doing a very good job of interpreting it. We we, we talk about the younger generation. I was talking to... uh, uh, a, a youth guy the other day who's in ministry, and he kind of coaches other youth pastors. And he, he said, you know, it was like our, our grandparents' generation, like technology, what was the big deal? And I was like, well, my grandma's 104. I'm not exactly sure. But I was thinking, what age would his grandparent be? And so uh, he said, you know, the, the big technology of the day, the thing that was always on, he said, is it was the television. The television came out. And he said, I got to go over to my grandparents' house, and the television was on, like, 24-7. It was incredible. It was like, look at this technology. And, like, and I can remember my parents being excited about color TV. Like, when they first saw, like, the Johnny Carson, like, curtain, that was a big deal to him. Some of you are like, who's Johnny Carson? He's on YouTube. You can find out. He was the first late-night host. So, so TV was kind of the technology, but you fast-forward to, like, my generation. What was the technology that was always on in my world? The computer that's in my back pocket, the smartphone. And my generation loves this thing because this is where we go for all of our questions, all of our answers. We want to get information. But this was new to me like in high school-ish, in college is when the smartphone really came about. What about today's generation? I was with a, a, a senior boy in high school. We were doing this run together, and uh, I was trying to talk to him about movies, and I realized that there was a generation breakdown taking place here. And so I was like, hey, man, you know, he's getting ready to graduate in May. I was like, what year were you born? 
He was like, 2007. I said, no wonder we are not talking the same language, my friend. That is wild. That is bonkers. Like, there's no recognition of 9-11. Like, my whole generation, we know exactly where we were when that happened. It wasn't even live. I mean, he's like six years after the fact. I'm like, this is weird. I was like, what Disney movies were out when you were a kid? He was like, well, like Wreck-It Ralph. I was like, that was new when you were a kid? What? Like, that's just bonkers. So, so it's just different how generations are. But today's generation has always had this. It's not new to them. It wasn't the aha thing. And it'll be interesting to see what the next thing is, whether that's the whole VR world and the submersive technology. But they have grown up with one of these. My, my kindergartner uh, was talking about how there's kids at a school in kindergarten who has cell phones. That's pretty wild to me. Like, that would not have been like my generation, and my kid doesn't have one, but that's kind of the norm. Every kid's issued an iPad in school, right? So they have access to information that we didn't have at their age. They have all the information available to them. Here's the problem with the next generation. I'll help you. This is the youth pastor and me coming out. They don't know what to do with the information that's available to them. Although they can know things and they can read things and they can actually know more than me and know more than you about a specific subject because it's so readily available, they don't know what to do with that information. In other words, they don't know how to interpret the information that they're receiving. And that's the role that we have as parents, as those who are older, those who love and care for the next generation, is to help them to navigate through the information to know what it means, what's important, what is, that's just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Like, we have to help them with that. In the same way that we're trying to help the next generation to interpret information and know what to do with it, that's our responsibility as Christians is to help those who maybe don't yet know Christ and those who do who are next to us to interpret God's activity in their life as God actually moving. Don't dismiss it as some coincidence or weird event that happened in your life. No, that is God in your life. In the Bible, we read that we are to be ambassadors for Christ, that we are to represent him, this other entity, to the world. We are to help people be pointed back to who he is. Uh, There's another passage that we find in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, that talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who come with the good news. How beautiful it is for people who share the good news that help put together that God is involved in your world and loves you and cares about you and is trying to transform your life. In in the message translation, which is kind of a paraphrase, we'll take a look at this together. It says, but how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? Like, that's a good point, right? Like, God's maybe moving in somebody's life. They know they need help, but they don't know who to call out to. How can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one, capital O, speaking of Jesus, who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And so is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do? Let's continue on. That's why. How's this going to work? The scriptures are explaining that we have to be sent. It says that a sight to take your breath away, grand processions of people telling all the good things of God. What if the church actually did that? All the people who are sitting in church buildings across the world today, what if they began to proclaim and tell people the good things of God? 
that the interruption is a good thing and it's from God. But, but not everybody's ready for this. Ready to see and hear and act. Isaiah asked what we all ask at one time or another. Does anyone care, God? Have you ever felt like that when you're talking to people and you're trying to share about Jesus? And it's like, gosh, does anyone care, God? Is anyone listening and believing a word of it? Paul, who's writing this, he says, the point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. In the Bible, the good news is never preached except through the mouths of humans. Angels do not share the good news. They point to Others, humans, who can share the good news. We have a responsibility. We are actually sent by God to share the good news with others. It's our assignment. It's our job. Some people get all caught up like, well, am I going to have to try to change this person's life? No. God's doing that. You're working with him. Uh, Think about it like this. We are in partnership with God. Um, in, in Matthew 28, there's like the Great Commission. If you grew up in church, Jesus says to his disciples before he takes off, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's telling him, here's what I want you to do. Baptize them, teach them all that I've commanded them. I'm going to be with you. This is the Great Commission. Okay? I always like to write commission as co-mission. Like, there's a mission, but we're in cooperation with him about it. So God does his part, right? He's doing the supernatural drawing. He's going to transform their hearts. He's going to empower them with the Holy Spirit. But that can't take place unless we're doing our part, which is telling people that it's God involved in their life, unless we are telling them to point back. Some people are like, well, I'm just going to live Jesus in front of them. Well, that's not what the Bible says. I think you do need to live it, but you also have to open your mouth, and you have to tell them. If you're not telling them, the commission doesn't work. So our responsibility, we are sent by God to tell people that it's God working in their life and that they should trust him so that when they want to call for help, they know who to call to. Jesus, after he uh, had been crucified on the cross, uh, he came back to life three days later, Easter Sunday, let's go. He spent 40 days with his disciples. He starts appearing to them and he starts talking to them and he's like, hey, this is it. Like, this is my final, like, chance to pour into you. Like, it's crazy. He's just appearing in rooms, wild stuff. In John chapter 20, it says this. Uh, let's see if, do we have that verse? John chapter 20, verse 21. It says, again, Jesus said, because he just popped into the room, hey, peace be with you. Can you imagine, like, if Jesus just appeared on this stool right now? We would all be wigging out. <laughs> like, it would be wild. And the first things he's always like, hey, peace, peace. I'm not here to scare you, <laughs> like, peace. So he says it a second time. Like, again, he said, hey, hey, peace be with you. As the Father, so God the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So you're following me, Jesus says, great. Here's how the system works. God the Father sent me. Now I'm commissioning you to go. I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, which is kind of a weird idea, but it's the same idea that we see in Genesis, right, at the very beginning of the Bible where God breathed life into Adam in the garden. He has this idea that he's breathing on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, we are to be sent by him 
but not empowered by ourselves. We're on mission, like the Blues Brothers, on a mission from God, but we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, which I don't think Leroy and the Blues Brothers were. (laughs) He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Our life as Christians is to be empowered by God's Holy Spirit in commission and walking with God to transform the world. It's what we pray every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want. We want his will to be done. We are in cooperation with him, and we get to be the answer to that prayer. How does his will get done on earth? Oh, we just obey him. We do what he says. Oh, his will's being done. He's the king. He's in charge. In heaven, did you know everything runs like it's supposed to? He'd like that to happen down here. I don't know about you. I think that's better than how things are going. Our job as Christ followers is to help interpret God's supernatural activity in people's lives. We're a part of God's interruption system. We are to co-mission with him. We are in cooperation with him. And for you, some people say, well, what's God's will for my life? I had a college student that was reaching out to me, and he was like, I don't know if the choices I've made and what I did, I felt like I maybe rushed through this. Am I missing God's will? What's God's will for my life? You can know this, that God's will for your life is connected to other people. And here's why. Because he is sending you to people. God's will is not disconnected from other people. If you think, well, no, it's just me, and I'm a monk, and I'm going to go live on a mountain, and I'm going to walk trails, and I'm just going to, you know, learn Greek and Hebrew. Okay, that's not God's will for your life. God has sent you to people. So if your vision of what God's calling you to do doesn't include other people, and, and I'll just go ahead and tell you, it's the people who are already in your life. If it doesn't include them, then you're missing God's will. God is sending you to people. And specifically, the people who you're with on a regular basis. What good would it be for me as a a preacher to get the whole world saved if my family doesn't love Jesus? My number one responsibility, the number one people I'm around every day is my family. I'm to lead them first. But some of you are like, "Uh, you haven't met my family? I would rather reach a stranger. (laughs) You know, do I really want my family in heaven? I don't know, God. Like... But we have to change our heart. We have to change to see people the way that God sees them. God's will for you is connected to other people because he is sending you to them. Is it enough for us to be sent? I sent my kid to go clean up the basement the other day. The sending didn't mean a whole lot. I'll just be honest with you. He, he, he didn't do it. Just because we're sent, it's important that we're sent. We know what we're supposed to do. But there's a responsibility on our part to actually then go. So I don't want you just to be here and be like, I embrace what the Bible says. God, thank you. You have sent me. And then we do nothing. No, no, we actually now have to go. But that scares me, Pastor Alex. It's weird. How do I go? You just do it. It may be messy. It's not going to be perfect. Just, just go. But Pastor Alex, it's like you're wanting me to live by faith or something. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be all cute and cookie cutter. It's going to be messy, and you're going to screw it up, and you're going to be like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, it's okay. I sent you. I know, but I didn't do it right. 
It's okay. I sent you. We're, we're in this together, my man, and I can fix anything. Oh, okay, cool. I can rest because he is with me. Do you know every time God asks anybody to do something big, something extravagant, something's going to be crazy, he always reassures them. He's like, hey, I'm going to be with you. Like every time there's a big assignment, hey, I'm going to be with you. He calls Jeremiah. Hey, I want you to go and I want you to preach to all these people. Jeremiah's like, I can't preach. I'm not a good talker. He's like, hey, I'll be with you. He goes to Moses. I want you to go lead the uh, Israelites out of Egypt. Moses is like, hey, hey, I can't do this. He's like, hey, I will be with you. Jesus says to us as disciples, hey, this is a big assignment. I will be with you. Isn't that good? I'm so glad that I didn't go and just get my orders from God and then he stays back at home base and I got to go out here on my own and try to figure it out. That would be horrible. I wouldn't know how to do that. I don't have the power to do that. Instead, I go to God and he doesn't say, hey, go do this. He's like, hey, let's go do this together. Oh, that's awesome. Let's do it together. That way when I don't know what to do and I'm weak, I just rely on him. That's the Christian life. In uh, Matthew chapter 21, Jesus tells a parable about two sons. If I was just to paraphrase it, the, son goes, uh, the father goes to the first son. And he says, hey, I want you to go work in the vineyard. And the kid says, no, nah, I ain't going to the vineyard. I ain't doing it. But then he later changed his mind. He started thinking about it. He's like, all right, I'll go work the vineyard. He went to his second son, the same father, and he said, hey, I want you to go work in the vineyard. And the son was like, you bet, Dad. I love you. I'll go work that vineyard. But then he didn't go out to the vineyard. He didn't do it. And Jesus asked those who were listening, he's like, which one did the will of the Father? And everybody's like, the first one. The one that had the bad attitude, the one that said no first. Yep, that's the one. And see, I think some of you are possibly the first son. Or maybe you're the second. Maybe you've sat in church and you've made a lot of empty promises of God and never followed through. I would rather you just be like, oh, no, I don't know if I can do this, God, and then do it later. The ultimate goal for us is to obey. Not just with lip service, but with action. Not only is God sending us to the people who are in our life every day that we see on a regular basis, the people you're going through life with, the people that are living in your home, uh, your family that's in town that you see regularly, your coworkers, uh, all those people that you go and do your hobbies with, whether you're shooting golf or basketball, whatever your thing is, the people you see on a regular basis, God has sent you to them. It's not a mistake that you're in their life. But then also, you know what's really fun and exciting? Me and my wife talk about them as divine appointments. It's just a part of God's divine interruption system. You ever been somewhere and then all of a sudden you encounter somebody that is from your past that you haven't seen in a long time and it's just random that you guys would ever see each other and it doesn't make any sense? Can I tell you? I'm going to help you interpret that. That's God involved in your life. He is helping send you to people that need help, that need encouragement, that need someone who has eyes to see them as God sees them to interpret their life situation. So whether you're at the post office or the grocery store or you're driving down the road and you see there is something, it's not coincidence, God is sending you to them. So the question is, are you like, ah, I don't want to talk to them. I haven't seen them since high school. Oh, my gosh. Or do you say, no, Jesus loves them, and I don't know what's going on in their life, but I'm an ambassador for him. I represent him, so I'm going to build a relationship. I'm going to talk to them, and if there's an opportunity for me to point them to Jesus, that's what I'm going to do. 
And at a bare minimum, as I'm walking up to him, I'm praying the whole time because I'm freaked out. God, please help me. I don't know what I'm doing. God, are you still with me? God, where are you? Come on, God, let's do this. That's what we're supposed to do. I want to end with looking at a story that's found in Acts chapter 9. If you have a Bible, you can open it with me. I brought my Bible today. Look at this. Not just going digital. Now, the problem is, is you got to hold this mic some. All right. Acts chapter 9. If you've got a digital Bible, they're awesome. Uh, I'm going to read today from the NIV, which is the New International Version. And we're going to start in verse 1. And we're just going to look at some scripture together. Because what we're going to find is that God wanted this guy by the name of Saul to come into a relationship with him. He, he felt like Saul had great potential to make a difference in the lives of other people. And so he was doing some supernatural things in his life. But as I'm trying to teach you today, it's not just God doing the work. In fact, God then has to recruit someone who's intimidated and scared of Saul to come and to get involved in his life. So let's just take a look at the story in case you haven't seen this in a while. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says that, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He was against Jesus and anybody who followed him. He was a part, actually, in the chapter before, of encouraging the first murder of a Christian, the first martyr, Stephen. He held these guys' coats while they went and stoned this guy, just being like, yep, get him, get him, got him. So now he's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. All right, Damascus is a city. So that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, these followers of Jesus, whether they were men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's getting legal authority to arrest anybody who's following Jesus. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Can you imagine? You're like driving to Lee Summit, and like, boom, light, blind, on the ground, voice of Jesus. What? Now the men traveling with Saul, he wasn't alone. There's other men with him. They stood there speechless. <laughs> Can you imagine? What is going on? They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Can you imagine being blind for three days? Now, in Damascus, verse 10, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. 
the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, which is an incredible historic thing. There's actually a street called Straight Street. And they actually have pictures of where this was. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. It's like God right there in that moment is like, I can hear Saul. He's talking to me. Ananias, I'm talking to you. We're getting ready to put you two together. You talk about matchmaker in a different way. Verse 12. In a vision, he, Saul, has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13, this is where a lot of us are. The Lord and I said, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. In other words, I don't think this is such a good idea, God. I think I might get arrested or worse, turn out like Stephen and I get killed. You want me to go do what? Like, God, are you sure we're talking about the same Saul? Like... I've heard about this boy. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, go, I'm sending, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That was all it took for Ananias. Next verse, then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Can you imagine how nervous you'd be? Placing his hands on Saul, who's still blind, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. I want to give you five lessons that we can take away from the life of Ananias. Number one, he left comfort and embraced obedience. He was just minding his business, chilling at home, and God says, I got a mission for you, but you're going to have to be uncomfortable. You're going to have to go to somebody that you would never go to on your own. I know that you're going to be afraid. I know that you may have preconceived ideas. You've already prejudged this person. You've never met them. You've heard things about them. But I want you to go because that's my chosen instrument. I'm doing a work. I've already had a divine interruption in his life. It was incredible. I blinded this dude. I need you now to go and help interpret the situation for him. And Ananias did what you and I need to do. He left comfort and embraced obedience. Number two, when he got to Saul, he fully embraced Saul. Like he went to him and placed his hands on him. Like this is a guy that he's scared of, that he's intimidated by. And he embraced him physically. And then the words that he said to him, words are so important, brother Saul. I'm not looking down on you. We are part of the same kingdom with the same heavenly father. 
you are my brother, even though I know your past. Brother Saul. His hands are on him. Man, I think we struggle sometimes to go to the people that God sent us to and not look down our nose at them because we think we're a little better than them. And Ananias, he just embraced him as he was. It's a lesson for us to learn there. Number three, Ananias actually brought God's healing. God did not heal Saul without Ananias. Ananias came, and as he spoke, and as he embraced Saul, and as he exampled and showed love physically with his words, with his very presence, it was in that act God's healing came. Now, from Ananias' standpoint, how cool is that? He probably never involved in a miracle before, but we have a miracle healing. And I don't even know what it's like to have scales fall from your eyes. I've had a contact fall out. Maybe it was like, I don't know. I don't know how God did it. But it was a miracle that took place when Ananias obeyed, stepped out of his comfort zone, and began to love other people. Incredible. And number four, not only was this a, a, a big move on Ananias' part, but, but he actually was helping Saul because Ananias' presence, he's a disciple of Jesus, he confirmed the legitimacy of Saul's conversion. Like he actually, by calling him brother, said, no, I believe that God's done a work in your life. He goes and he baptizes him. Baptism is an outward expression of what's taking place on the inside, a death to self in the old ways and coming alive to Christ. Ananias is saying, I believe that there's life transformation in you. I believe that you're not going to continue to murder and arrest other people. I believe, let us example this through this outward action that indicates your inward heart. I think some people need to have you confirm and assure them of their salvation when it's genuine. When you're having radical life transformation, the devil's going to try to mess with you in all sorts of ways and get you to question things. And Ananias says, brother, life change. Let's go. Come on, let's make it public. Let's be baptized. He confirmed the legitimacy of Paul's conversion as he baptized him as he embraced him. And, and, and then the last thing here is that he connected Saul to the church community. He didn't be like, good gravy, thank you, God, I'm done with that, and just left. No, now he has embraced this man and said, come on, I'm going to introduce you to my friends. They're all scared of you too. Let's go. <laughs> and he hung out with them and spent days with them. And I'm just telling you, I don't know this whole story, but I'm telling you, when the church community can come around people who are saying yes to Jesus, it's transformative. The church has not done a good job always of loving people where they're at as they're in process. When you first come to Jesus, you messy. It's ugly. It's not good. There's bad habits. There's bad tendencies. There's all sorts of stuff. But when the community cannot look down your nose at you but say, we love you, we embrace you as a brother, we embrace you as a sister, it's life-changing. Missy said, hey, we're getting ready to go into regroups. Why are we going to go into small groups as a church? Because you need to get plugged in to people who will do life with you. You can come in here with your baggage and you can keep it hidden, 
But there's something about going ahead and being real and vulnerable and honest and allowing other people who love God to pray for you, to care for you, to send you that text during the week saying, hey, I hope you're doing well. Hey, I know that you got that interview coming up. Hey, I hope that you and your family are getting along. Hey, I'm just letting you know I'm praying for you. Man, there's something about doing life together. It's transformative. And that's what God wants. There's a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a book he wrote called Life Together. There's this quote I wanted to read to you. He was kind of a theologian during like the World War II era. Actually, was uh, uh, killed by the Nazis. But he said this. He says, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass them by preoccupied with our more important tasks. It's a strange fact that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think they are doing God a service in this, but actually they are disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. We need to welcome the interruption. And so often the interruption that will come into your life and my life is in the form of another person that God needs you to interpret his activity for. I believe that our world needs Jesus. As a high schooler, I was convicted by Proverbs 24, 11, that says, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering toward the slaughter. There's so many people in our world today who don't know who Jesus is. And I want to do everything I can to hold them back, to rescue them. I want to co-mission with God and see our world changed. If you'd bow your heads with me. God, we do pause and thank you for interrupting our lives. For those of us who have stepped over that line of faith, we are so thankful that when we were not worth saving, that, Lord, you interrupted us. You drew us to you. And for those maybe who are in the room who have yet to step over that line of faith, that they haven't really interpreted all the things that are happening in their life as your hand working in their life, trying to draw them to you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that that they would embrace you. And, Lord, that we would all recognize that in following you, you are sending us to others. And that it's our responsibility to now go. It's our responsibility to speak the truth and to share the good news. God, we thank you that you go before us, that you prepare the way. We thank you that you've embodied us with your Holy Spirit, that we get to walk with your presence. And as we go, Lord, you can do whatever. And so, Lord, we want to be like Ananias, Not so much in our resistance to do what you say and digging our heels in, but in the fact that we obey. And so, Lord, may we be honest about our shortcomings, but at the end of the day, with whatever our delay may be, may we obey and may we go. And, Lord, if you want to provide miracles through our obedience, God, we welcome that. God, if there's a way for us to encourage somebody and to legitimize what it is that they're going through, God, let us do that. Let us be the church community that you've called us to be. May we not be so self-centered and self-focused and worried about our own behavior that we miss why we are following you on this earth. 
And so, God, I just ask for your guidance. And I pray, Lord, that the words that were spoken today, from the scriptures to the illustrations to the stories, God, that whatever it is that you had for each person here, God, that you would take that and that you would seal it in their hearts, that it wouldn't be a truth that they get to dismiss like water running off the back of an animal. No, no, we're not letting this slide off. We want to allow these truths to change who we are and our perception of the world around us. God, help us to be your ambassadors. Help us to be those that might say beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Lord, help us to be those people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.